0: I I have been told, and, and I have to believe it's true, that I am not naturally a hopeful person. <laughs> now, my, my excuse for that is that I was a software developer in my previous uh, previous life, and uh, any kind of engineering trade, anything where you're, you're building things, it's good to be um, a little bit pessimistic, to be asking yourselves, um, what what is the worst thing that could happen so you can plan for that and maybe make it a little more robust? Um, so, so I, I kind of excuse my my lack of hope in a lot of situations by saying, "Well, that's kind of an engineering mindset." On the other hand, I was um, I was working in a, in a building full of engineers when I got the nickname "Sunshine," <laughs> and, and so um, so maybe maybe I am uh, a, a little more hopeless than than uh, the people that I worked with there. So. So uh, today I want to talk about um, hope. How can we have hope? Is there some way that we can have hope? Because hope is a good thing. This is something both Christianity and secular psychology tell us is a good thing. There's there's all kinds of benefits that come from from hope. Uh, It it reduces stress and uh, anxiety. It creates a better quality of life and um, it provides help help happiness. And it's associated with with a, a, a smaller risk of death and with better academic and workplace achievement. So there's all kinds of reasons that that hope is something we, we we would like to have. And yet there's the question: What about people like me or or people like you maybe who are not naturally hopeful or would like more hope? Is there some way we can be more hopeful? Now. If you have to leave early, the answer is yes. But um, but before we get there, I want to say what hope is not, because because you probably know people who are hopeful like this. Um, hopeful is not wishful thinking. Uh, we've all been in the place where we said, "Look, I have no idea how we could possibly pay for it, but I really, really want it, so I'm just going to buy it anyway," and and somehow or another you know, it will work out. So so uh, it's not wishful thinking, that's wishful thinking. Um, but um, it's also Hope is also not a naive innocence. So, so hope isn't wishful thinking, but it's also not a naive innocence. you know if you have if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, if, if the wind has always been at your back, you may not have ever had a reason to to think, Maybe things won't turn out. You've just been coasting along and everything's been wonderful for you. So um, hope is also not a, a naive innocence. It's not naivete. It's, it's recognizing that things could could turn out badly, but at the same time to be happy, to be hopeful in the face of that. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Optimism or something very closely related to optimism. You, you've probably known some optimists. Maybe you are one. The, the kind of person who says, look, I have no idea how, but things always turn out well. You know, right now things look pretty bad, but you know, there's a silver lining on every cloud and, and you, you know, those irritating people who, who have that kind of attitude. Um, uh, that's optimism and, and the kind of hope that I want to talk about is kind of like that. How can we have that kind of hope? The hope that is the the confidence that things will work out in the end. So that's that's what we're going to talk about today. And as I said, um, the 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 answer is yes that we can have hope, and the way we can have hope um, has to do with the relationship between endurance and encouragement. And nobody wants to hear this part, right? But but it makes sense, right? If you endure something, then you are encouraged. Well, maybe I can get through the next thing, or I, I endured that one thing, um, you know, a while ago, and now as I face this this new problem, I can say, well, you know, you know, I'm not always defeated by these things. Sometimes, sometimes I get stronger. And in fact, the um, philosopher uh, Frederick Nietzsche said, um, "What does not kill me makes me stronger," and that just makes sense. You know, if you break your leg, then uh, the they they tell us that when the when the bone heals, it'll actually be a stronger. Um, it'll be a stronger uh, joint, uh, uh, bone in that one area because of the way it's healed. Uh, people on the space station, astronauts on the space station, they come down and they actually have to, to learn how to walk better because they've lost bone density because they aren't stressing it. So we understand that sometimes what does not kill me In fact, does make us stronger. That, that this is actually, you know, common sense, but, but oftentimes people think otherwise. They, they fall prey to a cognitive distortion, you know, black and white thinking or, or catastrophizing. This is going to be the end, you know, oh, it's always terrible and, and, you know, this is the end. Woe is me. So, so people, people sometimes don't take this attitude. So it's a good attitude to have. Um, and in fact, it's not far off from what the, 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 um, the apostle Paul says in a different letter, he says, we are experiencing all kinds of trouble. Yes, no kidding, but we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. We are harassed, but we aren't abandoned. We are knocked down, but we're not knocked out. So this is this is kind of a, a, a basic idea of what, what it looks like to have hope. Paul says, we can endure this yes it's it 's hard now, or yes, it was hard back when that that tough time was, but I can be encouraged because I got through that so so that 's kind of a very basic idea of um, the way that endurance and encouragement relate to each other, and they can give you hope for whatever kind of thing you 're facing now so so that's that 's what paul's going to talk about is that connection but paul 's going to say that there's more to it than that paul 's going to say that um, that There is a kind of hope that goes beyond that, or a source of hope that goes beyond that. And the the way he gets at that is he says he says this is an area where we should um, imitate Jesus, that Jesus should be our model for this, because if you think about it, Jesus had a lot of reasons uh, uh, to be discouraged. He had a lot of things in his life that were um, that uh, that he had to endure. You know, he, he was misunderstood even by the people who were closest to him. He, everybody else's reaction ranged from, from resistance. It's like, I don't like what you're saying, to, to no, I really don't like what, what you're saying, and I'm going to kill you for it. So he, he faced all kinds of resistance and opposition. And, um, and what we see in the life of Jesus is that, in fact, what killed him did not make him weaker. That even the thing that killed him did not make him weaker. So so why is that? He's saying Paul Paul tells us that that there is more than just that what does not kill me makes me stronger. He says there's something even even beyond that. So what is that? And the answer he says is look at Jesus and and study Jesus to find out what that is. He's talking about the way Jesus was raised from the dead. So so we can get through um, not just the things that don't kill us but even Paul says the things that do. So why is that? So that's where Paul is headed to talk about that connection between endurance and encouragement. So he begins by saying, we who, we who are powerful need to be patient with the weakness of those who don't have power and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for, for their good in order to build them up. Uh, this is something we talked about last week. He's kind of wrapping up or he's kind of uh, pivoting from what he talked about in chapter 14 now to what he's going to talk about uh, today, but um, and you, you can, if you weren't here last week, you can catch up online uh, to see what he had to say in chapter fourteen. But but his pivot is conditioned on the idea that we should look at Christ as our example. He says Christ, after all, didn't please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you fell on me. He's saying that that uh, the he's quoting from one of the prophets. I'm um, oh, sorry, one of the Psalms and he says he says that's what happened Christ took on the uh the insults um, of the people who insulted God uh they they fell on him so he says Christ is our example and he says um, so so um, he says the same kind of thing in in verse 7. He says, so welcome each other in the same way Christ also welcomed you. Again, look to Jesus as your example, that Christ is, a, is an example that we should follow uh, to look at Jesus so that we understand um, what we should do. Now, you may say, well, what's the connection? What's the connection between Jesus and and hope um, and and so forth? And the answer is because of the way that Jesus had to endure so much. So he says, endure these things. And it's like, who can't? Who can't endure welcoming someone? Who can't endure uh, bearing with somebody, being patient with somebody? So he's saying, I'm not asking you to, to do everything that Jesus did, but I'm saying Jesus is your example, so you can do these things. So, um, uh, so you may say, well, following Jesus is hard. I, I don't feel like I, I can do the kinds of things Jesus did. And Paul's okay with that. He says, you're not perfect, but you can still act like Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I can act like Jesus. So, that's the first idea: is just look to Christ and use that as an example as you as you move through life. And then he he turns. Um, he, he says he says, but it's not just Jesus that that what he's what what uh, what Jesus did was just um, the the supreme example of of a pattern that we see all through Scripture. That this is something that we see from from the from the Torah, the the books of Moses, through uh, the, the story of David and the Psalms, um, all, all the way through to the prophets. So this is the pattern we see throughout Scripture. He says, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. We don't only have to look at Jesus. We can look at, now he's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, because the New Testament, he's in the process of writing part of the New Testament. So he's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures. He says, look at those. This is the pattern we see throughout Scripture, is that people... Endure um, things, and then they are encouraged by it. So he says, uh, "Do that." Whatever was written in the past was so we could have uh, for our instruction, so that we could have hope. That's that's the goal through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. So he says, "Do that." Look at look at the scriptures. He says, "Look at the stories of Moses." You know, Moses led the people out of uh, slavery in Egypt. And through the, through the wilderness, you know, the, the troubles that came along with both of those, how could he do it? How could he endure those things to give him confidence, to give him hope that he could continue to do so? And the answer was because God promised to be with him. God said, you know, you can't do it, but I can do it with you or you can do it with me. Um, David, the same way. David was, was not the tallest and, um, most handsome person in all of uh, Israel, uh, but, with God's help, he was able to defeat the giant, uh, Goliath. So so uh, he had confidence not in himself, but in a strong God who would see him through it. Uh, the prophets, re- read the stories of the prophets. They were routinely insulted and, and uh, uh, faced all kinds of hardship because they were saying messages that no one wanted to hear. No one wanted the prophet to tell them. Yeah, you know, you're you're you you got a problem here and you're going to have to deal with it. So, the prophets were the same way. They did the things they did not because they were strong. It wasn't a question of I can I can um, you know, what does not kill me uh makes me stronger. He's saying, yeah, this would kill me, but God has promised to see me through it. That I have the strength that comes from that. I have confidence not just in my own strength, but in a God who is stronger than me. So, um, and and Paul says, "We see this pattern all through scripture, so one of the things we can do is we can read the Bible for god 's promises we can see the promises that God makes there and not just learn from our own history you know our own endurance, but we can look at the way other people endured uh, people in the in the Bible and of course supremely um, God i mean uh, uh, Jesus so we can we can look for for the um, promises that we find in the scripture now he says uh, this is this is a prayer he makes he says may the God of endurance and encouragement so where do you think endurance comes from what gives you a reason to be encouraged the God who provides those things he says may the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude toward each other similar to christ Jesus's attitude he says that that go beyond go beyond the idea that if it doesn't kill me I'll be stronger. He says, he says, go beyond that because you don't know if it'll kill you. So he says, go beyond that. Go further than that. Um, have the same attitude that the prophets and David and Moses had. Have that, have that higher attitude that even if it kills me, that won't make me weaker. So he says, that way you can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together with one voice. Uh, so who, who is you? This is a plural you. He's saying, those people you welcomed. The, the, those people that you bore with because they were they were driving you nuts because they they were weaker than you they were you know pestering you with all kinds of problems. He says he says you can now glorify the, the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together with one one voice. And he goes on in verse seven to say that you can you can welcome each other. So what does he mean by that? What's the connection between glorification and hope? Well, it's where the encouragement comes from. I I got through that. You're you're glorying in the fact that you got through something, and you're glorying particularly that God got you through it. That that it was with God's help. That God said, "I can I can um, I, I will be with you, so you can get through this. So you can give glory to God." Um, you can celebrate God's mercies. The reason you got through it is because God provided what you needed to to do that. So you're not simply um, being encouraged by your own recollection, but by all these other people that that uh, God has been merciful to. And so you can together uh, look at their experiences and the stories in, in Scripture and be encouraged by all of it. So that is what glor- glorifying God is for, to, to increase that amount of um, encouragement. So, he says, welcome them so that you can do this together with one voice. Now, part of what he's saying is that we're all different, and it'll, it'll be more of a symphony. If we're all singing the same note, it won't be as good of a song as if lots of people are, are singing, that, that everybody's got different voices, and, and it'll, it'll just be a better song of praise because my story is not your story, that collectively our story will be a better a better song If we can all contribute to it. So he's talking about that. But more than that, even more than that, Paul says, Paul says that, that, uh, this will, this will be itself a cause of celebration. Just the very fact that you arrived at that place where we're all singing together with one voice will be a cause for celebration. So he says, uh, so he says, welcome each other for that reason, um, for God's glory. And the 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 thinking Paul has here is is not as famous as John three sixteen. How many of you how many of you could quote John three sixteen? Maybe you needed to at some point you were in a Bible study or something. So so God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believeth in him uh, may not perish but may have eternal life. Right. So so many of us have heard that you've seen it at football games and so forth. This is this next two verses is really kind of. Paul's big idea. If you were going to kind of say, what does Paul have to say in all of his letters, a quarter of the New Testament, what is the big idea for Paul? And he says this. He says, I'm saying, I'm saying that Christ became a servant of those who are circumcised for the sake of God's truth in order to confirm the promises given to the ancestors and so that the Gentiles might praise uh, could pray, could glorify god for his mercy this is the big idea for paul of what what the whole bible is about what is god up to and paul says this is what he's doing he's basically saying the same thing john three sixteen says and he says here's here's how that works he says christ became a servant of those who are circumcised christ came as a jew to serve the jews why did he do that in order to confirm the promises that God made, which are really the central promise of Scripture, that God spoke to the the uh, the patriarch Abraham and said said you know the, the flood has just happened in the previous chapter and um and God says yeah that didn't work I you know you can't get rid of evil by by drowning everybody who's evil because the evil's inside you. So he says, but I've got a plan. I'm going to carry it out. He says, he says, I will make you a nation. I will give you a land and offspring. And through that, through that, the whole world will be saved. So God says, this is the big idea. God has made a promise, not just to David, you know, you'll defeat Saul and become king, not just to Moses, you will make it out of Egypt, but he says, this is the big thing that God has been working on. Everything else that God has done has been under this big umbrella, which is that Christ became a servant to the Jews to confirm the promises that God made to the uh, to the uh, ancestors so that the Gentiles could glorify God for His mercy. That God was not just going to save the Jews, God was going to save the whole world through the Jewish Messiah. So, Paul says that the promise of God has actually been fulfilled in what Christ did. That not just any promise, not just a particular promise, you'll get through this, but the world will get through this. That, that I have in Christ saved the whole world. So, don't forget God's faithfulness. Remember, we're not leaning on our own strength. We're leaning on the strength of, um, of God. And so that's, that strength is only as good as the faithfulness. God, God could do anything. God can juggle galaxies. But if He's not faithful, it doesn't matter. So, so, um, when we see the example that God has actually done the thing that He promised, He sent a Jewish Messiah to save the whole world, then we can say, okay, God is faithful. Now I can lean on, the, the the strength of God because I see God is it's faithful faithful to do the thing that He set out to do. So um don't forget God's faithfulness. So that is the big promise and God was faithful to complete it. So what do we do with this? Well we do imitate Christ and maybe maybe for you welcoming people is hard. Uh, Maybe maybe uh, welcoming that particular person is hard. And so you might ask yourself, what is it that makes that hard? Why is it hard for me to do that? Uh, Maybe there's somebody who's weaker than you in a particular area, and you say, why is it that I find it so troublesome to... why is it so difficult for me to to support them? you know this should be easy because because I am more powerful than them in this one area, and why is it so hard to support somebody who's weak and you might say, okay well, this is an area where I need to imitate christ I need to say okay i I can't save the whole world right i can't I can't complete god's plan of salvation, but I can welcome somebody I can bear with somebody who's Who's weak? I can do that. So we might ask ourselves about that. We might we might say, well, well, what are the promises that God has made? I mean, there's the big promise, but are there particular promises that have spoken to you in the past? Is there some promise that you're counting on God to fulfill? What is that? What would it look like if God began to fulfill it? Would it would it happen all at once? Would it be something that happened gradually? How would you know if God was actually um, keeping a promise that is important to you? And then of course, we can glorify God, um, for his mercies. So, so we, we can ask ourselves, well, what has God done? What has God done in my life? And to reflect on that and say, okay, the same God who did that will see me through this particular thing that I'm facing now. So we can glorify God for his mercies and we can remember that God is faithful, that God is not only making big promises, but God is a God who keeps his promises. It is, It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to be anything but faithful when He makes His promises. And because of that, Paul says, Paul concludes, He concludes this passage by saying, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in faith so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how Christians answer the question. Is it possible to have hope? Yes, we can, because God is a God of hope. Let's pray. Loving God, um, sometimes the, the challenges of this life, um, national challenges, family challenges, individual challenges, can cause, us, cause our hope to falter, to make us wonder is there any reason to be hopeful? Help us to remember that our hope doesn't have to reside merely in our own ability to get through things. We're not in the situation that Nietzsche was in. That we can look to the example of Christ, that even the thing that killed him did not make him weaker before he rose again. Help us to remember that that's the strength that you have to fulfill your promises. We pray this in his name. Amen.